Let me check the volume first. Okay? Okay. So I'll begin with a quote from Rumi. Wherever you are, whatever your condition, always try to be a lover. It's a beautiful quote. I've loved this quote for several years. But it took on a new meaning for me recently when I read a biography of Genghis Khan and realized that Rumi lived in the time of Genghis Khan. And he lived during the time of the wars. He lost family members uh, during the wars, fought by Genghis Khan. He was displaced several times. So there's words of wherever you are, whatever your condition, always try to be a lover. Take on a, a deeper meaning. And this is our practice. Wherever we are with practice, whatever our condition, our practice is to keep having the intention of practicing with loving kindness. Whatever the difficulties and challenges we might be facing. I also wanted to share another story um, about the boys who were rescued from the cave in Thailand and other Aspect Sally talked about this last night, such an inspiring way that very naturally the goodwill and kindness, compassion of the world just came forth. Just this immediate response of people from all around the world. But this is a story about one farmer who lived nearby the caves. Her name is Mei Buan Chai Chun. And she had just planted her field and uh, before she heard about the boys trapped in the cave. She's close by, so she immediately went to help. For five days, she volunteered helping provide waters, water for the soldiers, helping to provide whatever care and support she could. And after five days, she went back to her farm and saw that it had been completely flooded from the water that had been pumped from the caves. The government offered her $430 plus seed and fertilizer. And she said that she didn't want to add to the government's burden. So she didn't apply for those funds for that support. Her comment was, I'm more than willing to have my rice fields flooded as long as the children are safe. The boys are my children. Really beautiful. And it's such a similar line to, to a couple lines of the Metta Sutta that we've been chanting every evening. Just as a mother protects her child, just as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, she would, should one cherish, cherish all living beings. Uh, this is the direction of our practice, this quality of boundless loving kindness without conditions, ultimately open, opening to loving kindness to all beings without exception. We're still very early in the retreat and a lot of difficulties, challenges come coming up. The sleepiness, tiredness, that come along with starting a retreat. Perhaps doubt in this practice, doubt in being on this retreat, being on a 
versus being on another retreat or being on a vacation somewhere else. And the call is just to keep having that intention of kindness, to keep offering kindness, patience, having a sense of relaxation and ease that deeply support our practice. And cultivating an attitude of acceptance, acceptance of whatever the conditions might be. This acceptance of things as they are that so deeply supports the cultivation and opening to loving kindness. And it supports a trusting and confidence in the heart. Trusting the heart, trusting the unfolding process as we continue with the phrases, as we, can con- as we continue to cultivate loving kindness. It supports a letting go. It supports a deep letting go to the practice, to let the practice unfold in whatever way it may, in whatever time schedule it may unfold. And it supports a surrender, a sense of surrender. A couple of practitioners use this word in the practice meetings this morning, the sense of surrendering to the practice, surrendering the heart to loving kindness. We can remember too the words of the Buddha that no one is more deserving of our love and affection than we are ourselves. And we can search throughout the entire universe for another person who is more deserving and that person is not to be found. This is a beautiful practice, a beautiful practice that opens and purifies our hearts. It isn't always easy to just keep staying with the practice. I like the analogy of the practice being like scattering seeds. We scatter the seeds of metta as we say the phrases again and again. And when we scatter seeds, they settle into the earth, the seed germinates in its own time, comes into a plant and flowers in its own, in its own time. There's no point in judging the seed or the plant or trying to make something happen. We simply scatter the seeds, we provide support for the seeds as we practice wisely, practice staying present for the practice, bringing a sense of metta to every part of our experience and making it an exploration, bringing curiosity to the process. Very important that we too, we keep connecting with this intention to have a sense of warmth for the category of being the easy person or self, wherever we're finding the connection, uh, that we have a sense of warmth and have that intention, even if we don't always feel it, even if there's periods of dryness or we're feeling just the opposite, recognizing that that's a part of the practice but intending to have that sense of warmth and connection. Kind of a sense of having the intention of saying the phrases as as if we really mean it, 
even if we don't always feel it that way. We can get caught up sometimes in thinking there should be this, this grand ecstatic feeling of loving kindness coming up. Sometimes that may happen, that's fine. It can be very beautiful, but uh, the practice will unfold in its own way and we can really have a trust and confidence that, that our hearts will open uh, during the course of this retreat. I guarantee you it will happen. So the, the repetition of these phrases, Sally mentioned this last night, this, this dual benefit of both cultivating an open, a tender heart, while at the same time building concentration. This factor of unification that gathers and collects uh, attention, tranquilizing the heart and the mind, and in that way deeply supporting the further cultivation of metta and opening of the heart. From Thich Nhat Hanh, when we have concentration, we have a lot of energy. We don't get carried away by visions of past suffering or fears about the future. We dwell stably in the present moment so we can get in touch with the wonders of life and generate joy and happiness. This is very much the direction of our practice. We might not feel like concentration is is building yet, the difficulties, the challenges in these first few days, but this is a trust factor, trusting that the momentum of the practice is building and continuing to let go, to accept the practice to unfold and unfold in its own way. There could be doubt arising too, perhaps doubt in this practice of metta, maybe the thought of, Should I have signed up for a Vipassana retreat rather than a Metta retreat? Is this where the real goods are? But ultimately, Metta and Vipassana lead, Vipassana being insight, insight meditation. Metta and insight meditation lead to the same place. When perfect wisdom is realized, when the truth is fully realized, the heart is fully open. And vice versa, when the heart is fully open, there's perfect clarity to see and know things as they are. We can think of someone like His Holiness the Dalai Lama who manifests great wisdom and also the beautiful qualities of the heart that come forth so naturally in His presence. So a quote from uh, Deepama that I'll read on the quote, difference between metta and mindfulness. Deepama was one of the great practitioners of the last century. She, just tell a little bit of her story, that she um, lost her husband and two of her three children. They died in a very short period of time. This was before she had found the practice. And she came into practice and became a, a very deeply realized being, one of the most realized beings of the last century and was a teacher for several of the senior teachers here at Spirit Rock. I think she visited Spirit Rock some time ago too. So her quote on the difference between mindfulness and metta. From my experience, there is no difference. When you are fully loving, aren't you also mindful? 
when you are fully mindful, is this also not the essence of love? And then a quote from Sharon Salzberg. Sharon Salzberg wrote the book titled Loving Kindness. It's a kind of the modern day version of a Bible, <laughs> Loving Kindness. She said, for all of us, love can be the natural state of our own being, naturally at peace, naturally connected, because this becomes a reflection of simply who we are. These beautiful qualities of the heart, these divine abodes, these Brahma Viharas of loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. Equanimity being the calm, peaceful acceptance of the heart. These beautiful qualities of the heart are ultimately innate qualities. Reflections of simply who we are. So we practice cultivating and opening to these qualities, bringing these qualities forth. But when they fully come forth, we realize they are indeed innate qualities. Innate qualities of the heart, you could say innate qualities of awareness itself. And loving kindness is a foundation for the Brahma, for, for the three other Brahma Viharas. Providing a, a, a foundation of abiding loving kindness for ourselves, for all beings. It's unconditional. It allows the heart to be immediately responsive to the suffering of others, to recognize suffering, wishing it to end, to recognize the joys of others, to celebrate the joys of others, and wish that joy to continue. So these qualities can come forth very naturally as we cultivate loving kindness in our practice. As as we've talked about, we'll be talking, as we'll be introducing all of these uh, Brahma Viharas, um, the other three Brahma Viharas in the afternoon that Bonnie started with compassion today. And each of these Brahma Viharas has near and far enemies. And uh, today, tonight, I'll be specifically talking about those near and far enemies of loving kindness and offer some tips on how to work with those near and far enemies. So the near enemy is attachment or desire. It can be a very subtle attachment maybe to a person, to getting, getting something from the person, wanting from this, something from the person, or offering metaphor. Might also be an attachment to a particular state of mind, that maybe we had a great feeling of loving kindness in the previous sit, and we attach to that, and we try and get that feeling back again. So that's also a form of attachment that arises. And then the far enemy is ill will or hatred, the the exact opposite of loving kindness. And this far enemy does arise in our practice. It's a very natural part of the purification of the heart. That's not, or not to judge it when ill will or aversion or hatred arise, but work with it skillfully 
and allow the metta to do the work. It's helpful to understand as a little background that this practice really has two key heart aspects of both bringing forth the beautiful qualities of the heart, this bringing forth of loving kindness that opens a door for appreciation, for gratitude, for joy, generosity, all of these beautiful factors of the heart that can come forth, acceptance, clarity, wisdom, beautiful opening of the heart qualities. And then there's a second part that is the part of purification, of the purification, the tenderizing of the heart, you could say the cleansing of the heart, perhaps kind of cleansing of old stories, of memories. And that's, that's a part of the process. It's a part of the natural part of our practice. There can be pains, memories, remorse, jealousy, anger, grief, sadness, all of these emotions that can come forward in practice. And our practice is to keep bringing metta to every part of the experience. It's this basic kindness, goodwill, benevolence to every part of the experience, whatever it might be, As Sally said last night, a simple phrase, it can be a support. Can I hold this too with kindness? Even the anger or the fear, whatever the difficult emotion might be that's arising, or perhaps some ancient story from early in our life, in our lives. I had a lot of stories come up from decades earlier in my life when I started this practice of metta. All part of this purification, purification of the heart. I recognized I was carrying burdens that I, I didn't even know I was carrying. And when we open to them, it's not that they go away, but we can see them, hold them with tenderness, perhaps offer forgiveness, and no longer feel like we're held prisoner by those stories. Kind of bringing an ease, a sense of ease whatever stories might come up. Sometimes too with this practice, say just some small action we did that caused harm or an action that wasn't based on loving kindness, wasn't based on clarity. I had come up more than once over the years, a memory of a incident in high school and I borrowed money from a stranger, borrowed about a dollar and 35 cents, I think. <laughs> or the exact amount. So probably worth about $5 today. And I said I would repay it. And I didn't. And I so easily could have done that. And I didn't. And that, that feeling of remorse on not having acted skillfully comes forward. So these kind of memories can come up in our practice. In this, in this purific path of purification. So with the practice, we're both opening to those 
sometimes this purification process difficult, emotions, memories, stories. But at the same time, or maybe very close to being at the same time, our heart is also opening. As the quality of loving kindness comes forth more, more strongly, sense of compassion, joy may arise. It's as if we're creating space for the more difficult emotions and stories to arise and be known and be held with tenderness. And we find in that process that we have a greater capacity of the heart than we ever imagined. To be able to hold great sorrows and great joys and find that we can hold them with balance. A sense of being able to open to all the joys and sorrows of the world. while resting in a place of contentment, peace, and perhaps in an abiding field of loving kindness. That's the ultimate direction of our practice. We find with that great capacity of the heart, the ability to forgive ourselves, to forgive others for harm that was caused. And we find a deep and profound connection to all beings may really have a sense of beginning just to connect in this Sangha in a way that you might not normally connect with people on an insight meditation retreat. The heart opens up with connect with connectedness. Ultimately it can serve to break through all sense of separation where we, we find a universal connection to all beings. A quote from Mother Teresa. Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happy. So, this is another great benefit of this practice is finding this connectedness and realizing the happiness that comes forward as we cultivate loving kindness. It's a story of a leader in Africa who's really bringing forth these beautiful qualities of the heart. I just recently learned about this. He's the youngest leader of a country in Africa, recently elected as prime minister in Ethiopia. I didn't check the pronunciation of his name, so I may get it wrong. Abi Ahmed. And he is the prime minister of a country with 80 different um, ethnic groups, so quite a diverse country. Very large Christian and Muslim populations. And his father's Muslim, his mother's Christian. And I think one of the best things about his background is he has a PhD in peace. <laughs> I think that should be adopted as a qualification for any world leader. <laughs> He frequently delivers messages on love. He says, love wins. That's his most frequent message, love wins. He took a national tour after his election and he said, we are now on the path of change and love. You could say that about our own practice right here. And releasing, uh, he released political opponents from his own political party. He released them from prison after he was elected and kind of following uh, somewhat of the model of Nelson Mandela of reconciliation, he invited them to his home for dinner. 
And quite moving that he, very recently, a bomb was thrown at him, an attempt, obviously, to take his life. And two people were killed, several others seriously injured. And his comment, again, was, love always wins. Forgiveness will win. Killing others is a defeat. Beautiful spirit of love and loving kindness. So the near enemy of attachment is attachment. Near near enemy is attachment or desire. It can feel very similar to loving kindness. Sometimes a little bit of this attachment comes forward in a very subtle way. Joseph Goldstein makes this distinction between attachment and loving kindness. Metta is an offering. So an offering that has no sense of attachment, of needing something from anybody else. It's simply an offering. And the other, this attached desire, is a taking a hold on, so wanting or needing something. So they look a lot alike, but are really quite different. So, came up for me, I remember I was saying metta for a good friend on my first metta retreat. He wasn't my best, he wasn't my best friend, but a very good friend and really had a, felt like I had a great heart connection established with him, felt a lot of warmth. And then I noticed a little bit of attachment, just the thought would come into my mind. And why did you move to Florida? <laughs> why did you leave San Francisco? I want you here, near me. So this is very subtle attachment, not, not so huge, but I could see it, the recognition of it supported the letting go. And I just continued with the phrases, with the practice, and that slid away at a certain point. It came up for my easy person too, saying metta for a teacher. And again, a very natural heart connection that was coming forward, a lot of warmth. And uh, just could note then an attachment of wanting more from her as a teacher, wanting kind of her to be omniscient on my practice. It was unrealistic. So attachment is normal too in our relationships. If we have attachments to spouses or partners or loved ones, maybe dear friends, it's normal to have attachments. I've I've been with my partner 25 years. I have some attachments. (laughs) Um, Now that we're supporting one another in a relationship, so there is some wanting of something from the other person. But I think over the years there has been more metta cultivated by both of us that has really deeply supported our relationship too. And with both the metta and the mindfulness practice, there's, there's kind of less making a big deal of the small stuff. So I no longer get upset if he doesn't do the breakfast dishes after eating. <laughs> Uh, sometimes it can be very strong, the attachment. Um, about 30 years ago when I ended a relationship, I said, kind of 
the whole relationship came down to, to relationship came down to this. I, I said, I just want you to be happy, which was really meaning, I, I can only be happy if you're happy. I just want you to be happy. And he replied, I don't want to be happy. It's <laughs> a little codependency in the relationship. But that's the attachment. We really attach our happiness fully to the other person doing something or feeling something that we're looking for. I said earlier too, the, this attachment desire can take the form of a, an attachment to a blissful or a peaceful state that we might experience with a practice of loving kindness. And we can just see, often just see it and recognize it. Often it will just drop away. So we can also, if it's stronger, we, we may want to, if like the attachment I was feeling when I was breaking up with my partner from 30 years ago, we may want to see the suffering, recognize the suffering, offering, offer compassion for ourselves to perhaps say, I, I feel the suffering, may I be free of this suffering, just to, to drop in the phrase. And if it's really very strong, you can switch to mindfulness for a short time to be in the direct body experience. So that's a near enemy. And that the far enemy is ill will, hatred, aversion. Again, a natural part of this purification process. You can think of this as both a purification of the heart as well as a purification of the understanding of the way things are, the truth of the way things are. And we really need to have to support this purification of the heart to support the deeper realizations and practice of the way things are. And uh, we've compared this in our teachings on this retreat to being like waves. So these are the waves of practice. And if we just recognize and let go to see that there are these waves of practice, if we don't judge them, if we don't try and make it different than it is, that's really going to support the deepening and the cultivation of metta. Allowing the practice to do itself in effect, trusting the heart, trusting the practice. A quote from Alice Walker touches on all of the difficult emotions that might come up here. It might be harsh self-judgments, guilt, remorse, resentment for past hurts, maybe a whole replaying of events of when we caused harm or when, when we were harmed by others. This quote from Alice Walker, out of knowing, out of unknowing and sacrifice, we come bearing our wounds, our wonders, and our gifts. Bringing love and kindness to it all. The story I've told several times in the last a year and a half I'd like to share. It, it feels like a, a story that is so much for our times. Story from 250 years after the time of the Buddha. 
uh, of a king named King Asoka who lived in northern India, ruled a kingdom, very large kingdom in northern India for over 30 years. And he was known as a brutal king. He was unkind to his people at war with the neighboring kingdoms. I read that he deported, it was said he deported over 220,000 people from his kingdom. It's a surprise to me that level of people being deported even at that time. And about 175,000 people died in battles and wars with neighboring kingdoms. So the stories of one particular battle where this great carnage on the battlefield, the battle was over, the king was on the battlefield, and he saw a monk walking across the battlefield, serene and at peace, even amongst that carnage. And the king said, how did you come to be so peaceful? I like to reflect on what that monk who remains nameless, what he might have said, how he might have reacted. He might have reacted with anger, with hatred, ill will. He might have said to the king, look at what you've done. What kind of a king are you? What kind of a human being are you to cause this harm? Would have been a natural reaction. He might have felt anger, but as I'll tell you, he didn't, didn't act from that place. He might have just shut down, just kind of, in effect, ignored what's around him and just continued on his path, not spoken to the king. So he might have acted with desire, attachment, going toward what was beautiful, maybe toward the forest on the side of the battlefield, avoiding what was unpleasant but he stayed at peace, stayed on his course of travel with acceptance, with a heart of kindness and compassion, even for the king who had caused this terrible suffering. So he replied to the king as an act of compassion. He shared the Buddha's teachings and it was transformative for the king. He became a practitioner He became known as a peaceful and benevolent king, kind to his people, at peace with the neighboring kingdoms. And his son and his daughter became practitioners, carried the practice to Sri Lanka, from there to Burma, and that's the lineage of the Vipassana insight meditation. It's inspiring that This one person acting from a a place of loving kindness, perhaps aware of the forces of attachment, of ill will, but then acting from a place of peace and kindness and compassion had this transformative effect on the world, on this practice being carried forward. And it's a beautiful reflection because in this moment we're directly connected that having happened. Everything completely connected. So 
So this story supports, can support us in our practice and we're, when we're working with the difficult emotions, ill will, aversion, to be present for them, but to really bring that heart of kindness and compassion into our practice, an attitude of acceptance. Maybe around uh, anger, anger that might have arisen around something, a way we were mistreated in the past or an injustice around sadness, or the grief, the grief that comes with being in this human body. The regret we might feel that might come up in practice around harm caused to ourselves or others. Maybe jealousy on what is that, why is that person getting all the good stuff and I'm not? Or the fear, fear, maybe a generalized fear sense of not having, not being enough, or a sense of um, not being worthy. Sometimes that comes up strongly in practice. And with this practice, we're creating that spaciousness for those, for those uh, emotions to arise and be known, allowing the purification process. Sometimes it can be really strong ill will, kind of wishing that the other person be unhappy. This may happen for some folks as we move over the coming days to working with a difficult person. Something that came up for me in my own practice was just a subtle sense of actually wishing that the other ill will for the other person. So we're just to see and know this and not, not to judge ourselves when that arises. So tools to work with this. When, we, when these difficult emotions come up, difficult emotions, sometimes we can just see it and name it. Just name it as fear or sadness or grief or jealousy. And it can just remain in the background. We can just stay with the metta phrases, allowing the metta to do the work. Very similar to the way we work with uh, attachment and desire. And sometimes these emotions especially can be, can be stronger. So the acknowledgement of, I feel this pain, I feel this anger, may I be free of this pain, can be a very useful tool. But staying with that basic intention of goodwill and kindness for ourselves, even while acknowledging that suffering. And then if it becomes very strong, that's when we use a tool of Vipassana. Maybe to go into the body, to name sensations, maybe pulsing, heat, throbbing, unpleasant, aversion, fear. I'm naming what was present, what is present, using the tools of insight, of the insight practice. And then returning to the metaphrases at the appropriate time. Might just be a minute or two before we return to the metaphrases. Uh, just an example of how I worked with this myself. Um, worked with it, this is actually from practice in life. I was for many years uh, a hospice volunteer for about 16 years, an important part of my spiritual path, practice. And those six, first six months especially, I think every time I came into the practice of being a volunteer, came in on Sunday morning to do my five-hour shift, 
every single morning there was a feeling of, I'm not good enough. <laughs> There's that old feeling, I'm not good enough for this. And the tool I used was to say metta. We were, we were um, told that we should sit before beginning, beginning our volunteer shifts to do a sitting. So I'd, I'd do a sitting and say metta for myself. And the fear would be in the background. It wouldn't be real strong, kind of fade away. Sometimes the mind might be distracted coming into that volunteer shift about some form of attachment, some other plans for the day and the excitement around that. So again, just staying with the metta phrases, calmed, cooled the mind down so it could be more fully present. When, we're, when we open to kindness for ourselves, then we can be more open, kind, responsive to every other being. And that was my experience. When I walked into the rooms of the residents or spent time with family members, then I could be fully present, not caught up in the illusion of not being good enough. I won't tell a long story about hospice experience, but just the, the, the experience sometimes of the great beauty of the way these Brahma-viharas could come forth at any time. And the way the Brahma-viharas divine abodes are so, so much support one another. When loving kindness is very strongly present, any of the other three, compassion, empathetic joy, or equanimity can arise in a moment. And one resident, Russell, I was with for the last six hours of his life and he wasn't able to speak at that time, but I could feel the, the love in his heart, this beautiful loving kindness just that was present. And it just began to fill the room. And at times, joy would come forward and compassion and then the peace of equanimity. The beautiful part of it was, it wasn't his, it wasn't mine. It was what was arising, being known in awareness, arising from the conditions that were present. And of all sense of separateness, all sense of separation, gone away. At the end of my shifts, uh, I never felt not good enough. <laughs> and uh, most of all, I'm, I would feel gratitude. To be, just to be fully present for whatever, whatever is arising, to know know what's present with an open heart. It's a great gift, something we can really be grateful for. I'd feel great gratitude, often a sense of contentment, peace that came with that practice. Never ever felt overwhelmed, because I really opened to that greater capacity of the heart. It is a natural capacity of the heart. So, you may have noticed for those who know the five hindrances that these are very similar to the first two hindrances, attachment, desire, the first hindrance of desire or greed, the second hindrance of uh, aversion or ill will matches right up with a far enemy. 
And then these other hindrances of sleepiness or sloth and torpor, most commonly called sloth and torpor, restlessness and doubt, can also arise strongly at times in our practice. So I've been seeing a lot of folks using the tools of practice wisely to, to stand up and when you're sleepy, a good tool to use, or um, perhaps open your eyes for a short time, a good way of working without hindrance. Uh, maybe with this practice of metta, maybe pr- using saying the phrases a little faster or just in your mind a little louder. <laughs> Even though they're not speaking the words, a little louder can bring some wakefulness. And of course, to acknowledge at the beginning of the retreat, you may need more sleep. I need, uh, I need several naps a day for the first two or three days of a retreat. Even though I sleep less hours at, at nighttime, I still need those short naps throughout the day, the first few days. So important to wisely take care of our, our bodies to support our practice. And then restlessness. Some, sometimes there's a uh, energy being out of balance. So uh, some folks brought this up in practice meetings today too. So sometimes a little bit more vigorous walk or exercise can help to uh, balance out the energy. Um, sometimes just refining attention or slowing down, slowing down the phrases might be another way uh, to support uh, diminishment of the hindrance of restlessness. And then doubt. Doubt can really be a powerful force. It can really lock up the practice. And then, uh, it's important when doubt comes up, when we're not trusting the practice, not trusting our, our hearts, to, to recognize it, uh, to reconnect with our inspiration in being here, a great way to bring back a sense of trusting confidence in the heart. Recognizing our right to be here, recognizing the right for our hearts to be fully open, to be in the world with a heart filled with loving kindness. So it can also be uh, useful to really appreciate those times during the day when the metta is strong, when you're realizing benefits of the metta. And sometimes when doubt arises, doubting in the practice, doubting on how your practice is going, reflecting for a moment on the benefits that you're realizing in practice, even maybe very brief moments. You can really also uh, reconnect with the beautiful qualities of your own heart, maybe to find those qualities that you can connect with that you can appreciate. Maybe your kindness to friends, to loved ones, your love of nature, service, sense of gratitude, gratitude for others, gratitude for for the earth, the trees, the animals, maybe for a sense of humor. Any positive quality you can connect with will support that deepening connection to trusting the heart this trusting of the heart that really allows us to keep sticking with it, even in difficult times, to allow us to accept those difficulties with some sense of balance and kindness. It supports that sense of surrender, surrender to the practice as we keep scattering the seeds of loving kindness. 
and it supports the coming into wholeness. This is part of the purification process. We come into wholeness, come into a sense of completeness through that purification process. Maybe come into our own uniqueness of who we are. Maybe even a sense of coming into aliveness and mystery as we open in this way. A quote from Alice Walker that I think captures this is, I am an expression of the divine, just like a peach is, just like a fish is. I have a right to be this way. I can't apologize for that, nor can I change it, nor do I want to. We will never have to be other than who we are in order to be successful. We realize that we are ourselves unlimited and our experience is valid. It is for the rest of the world to recognize this if they choose. So, with this practice, we're scattering seeds, we're trusting the practice, trusting the heart, surrendering, surrendering to the practice. Letting the practice unfold in its own way, in its own time. We keep staying with with the phrases, with the basic intention of warmth and connection, accepting the experience, whatever it may be, even when we don't feel that connection. Recognizing it's not our job to judge. Let it let go of those judgments. And we open to this beautiful interconnectedness, interconnectedness, and this happiness that comes with a heart that's open. Recognizing that all beings want safety, happiness, health, and ease, just as we want. I'll close with a quote from the Buddha. Put away all hindrances. Let your heart full of love pervade the whole wide world. Above, below, around, and everywhere. All together continue to pervade with love-filled thought. Abounding, sublime, beyond measure. So let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.